I thought for a little bit Steve was just going to preach my message for me this morning. So um, I don't know where you went, Steve, but sometimes it feels like you read my notes a little bit. I don't know how to feel about that. Um, I know there are several people that need to leave a little bit early today, so I'm going to try to move quickly and, and um, uh, uh, try not to um, go down too many rabbit trails. But a few weeks ago, um, I, maybe this happens to you sometime. Um, have you ever just woke up suddenly out of deep sleep, and it's like your stomach is just tight? Your 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 mind is racing, tense, and and you you try to go back to sleep, but you just can't shake it. It's just like there's just a thousand things. Oh man, I'd be doing that. I forgot to do that. You know, they're, they're, you just can't let it go. And you look at the clock, and it's 4 o'clock in the morning. And you're like, stupid to get up now, but you find yourself up anyway. Has that ever happened to you? Nope, I'm the only one. Thanks. Appreciate that reassurance. Um, also, a few weeks ago, a young man um, said this to me. I wish... I wish I could see growth in my spiritual life. Like, I just, you know, I can't see anything happening. How do I know it's happening? So what do those two things have in common? Maybe not much from uh, first glance. Um, But today's message is for both of those people. Me laying in bed at 4 o'clock in the morning with my stomach turning and my heart racing, and the young man who maybe thinks, maybe it's kind of hard to, put, put, to, to figure out what exactly spiritual growth is. I love reading books. I think people know that about me. Um, I, I like to buy used books, uh, normally on Amazon. Um, you can get them you know, 50% off or whatever, and so that makes sense. So I'll buy a used book when I can because it saves money. But there's a reason I like buying used books, and it's not just to save money. I like to buy a used book because I really enjoy seeing what other people have highlighted. Or made, you know, it's like, it's like you, you buy the book already, you know, kind of with the cliff notes already intact. You know, you can just kind of scan the book and see, oh, here's the, the key points. So when you can buy used books that, have, that are pre-highlighted and pre-underlined, it saves you a lot of work. But there's... A unique thing that I've noticed in used books, and that's the fact that the first chapter, maybe the first few chapters, often have a lot of highlights and a lot of underlines, and then it stops. And then the rest of the book just looks immaculate, somewhat like it had maybe never been read. And I've been guilty of that. But I was actually thinking about this yesterday, and I realized... There's a unique parallel to that in the Christian life. The fact that so many Christians, uh, it, it, I should say, it is so easy to begin a Christian life with a lot of highlights and underlines in the margins. Jesus is speaking to us. It's real. He's alive. Uh, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's a, a living relationship inside of it. There's a lot of notes that we make in the margins of our life in this season. And then time goes on, and we've, kind of, we've already read the book. 
We've already, we know what's coming. It's just another year doing the same thing. It's just another chapter. And we find that the teacher really isn't teaching anymore. We're just kind of somewhat on autopilot, just doing the same thing over and over again. Um, today's message is called, and if you want to, if you'd like to, you can turn to Luke chapter 10, and we're going to read from uh, verse 38 to the end of the chapter. It says, as they went their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted, distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion and it will not be taken away from her. First, let's just make a few observations. Jesus was invited into this house by Martha. He was welcomed into the house by Martha. We find that Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to his teaching, and Martha was distracted by much serving. Um, Mary was characterized um, um, by sitting at Jesus' feet, and that, and I think that's that's important to recognize, because the writer of Luke, which I guess was Luke, um, was calling out the fact that Mary was in the position, position that I would say was very uncharacteristically given to men. I mean, it was very uncharacteristic for a woman to be in the position of a disciple. Mainly, disciples of rabbis were men. Martha obviously was characterized by much serving. She it says um, she was distracted in verse 40. She was distracted with much serving. And then in Jesus' indictment, he said, he said, you are anxious and troubled about many things. Frustration. Martha was frustrated by the way that Mary was, you know, obviously just leaving her to do all the work. Martha asked Jesus to intervene on her behalf. And Jesus very wisely stayed out of the family dynamics and instead he pointed right to Martha's heart. Um, he affirmed Mary's selection of priorities, her priority selection. So what is it exactly that Jesus is addressing in Martha's life? Is he saying it's wrong to serve? Isn't, isn't serving good? Especially if I get to serve Jesus, isn't that good? Um, I think that's the danger, that serving is good. And because serving is good, um, we can serve and pretend like we're godly, or at least come across in a very godly way. Um, But it's actually really done primarily selfishly. It's to meet it inside of our own hearts to be recognized or, re, or to be regarded in a, certain, in a certain kind of way. This kind of serving, serving like this, is always or nearly always co-joined with self-righteousness or frustration. Look at everything I'm doing and look at how little they're doing. 
Jesus is telling Martha, listen, you knew who I was. You knew exactly what you were doing. You invited me to your house. And yet, instead of putting yourself in the position of a disciple, you wanted to impress people. You wanted to be known as, ooh, they are having, they're having Jesus at their house. You wanted to be seen, regarded in a certain way. Jesus, you know, I think another way to say all this is when you have the God lunch, don't try to impress them with your cooking. That may sound comical, but it is just as easy for us to have our priorities just as confused. We can get things turned around and get things backwards just as easily as that. And as I was thinking about that, I realized that this is some of you where that routinely happens. We, you know, it's a time where we, we're all about celebrating Thanksgiving and Jesus' birth, but man, People are so busy and so distracted and so troubled this time of year. There's a, it's clear that Jesus is addressing a priority here in, in Martha, uh, inside of Martha's life. And this is very similar to the man who approached Jesus. Just a couple chapters later in chapter 12, Luke chapter 12, a man approached Jesus and wanted, him to, wanted Jesus to, to, to tell his brother to divide the inheritance with him. And Jesus, um, Jesus said, he, again, declined to get involved in the family politics. And he, and he said, he said, actually, he said, you need to take care and be on your heart. Be on your, I'm sorry, be on your guard against all kinds of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundant possessions he has. And then he gives this parable about a man who tears down his barns and builds big own ease and comfort. And Jesus said that this man is like one who is, um, um, uh, who, he's laying up treasure for himself. But he is not rich toward God. This man saw Jesus as an avenue to get what he wanted of life. He saw Jesus as an avenue to get what he wanted. And Jesus dealt a blow right to that man's heart of covetousness. And that's exactly what he did to Martha. You see, as I was reading this, I realized that, and I'm I'm adding to the story a little bit, but I don't think it's, I don't think it, it's uh, – we can imagine this. I, I believe Martha, you know, very likely was, you know, the older sister. She was the one do, doing the inviting. She was the one welcoming into the house. Um, very likely this was not a new frustration for her. I can see Martha being routinely frustrated by Mary's lack of involvement in, in the family life. And Martha had probably been harboring, had likely, I, could, I can't say probably, had likely been harboring this grudge against her sister for years. You're not doing enough around here. Can't you hear Martha saying that to Mary? Just like the man wanting Jesus to divide the inheritance, she saw Jesus primarily as a way to get what she wanted out of life. She saw Jesus as a way to get her sister to do what she wanted to do. We can use Jesus that way. We can use Jesus as, 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 a, as a vehicle to get other people to conform to the way we want them to behave. I'm getting, I, I don't think Jesus wants to be used that way. Jesus didn't entertain this in any of the stories that I could find. Um, he, he always deals a blow right to the heart of the problem. He told Martha, your anxiety to please everyone, is not the way that I made you to be. And you're losing something incredibly value, 
valuable in your pursuit of it. Just a few verses prior to this story in, in chapter 10, Jesus told his disciples, he said, you have no idea how blessed you are and how many kings and prophets would have loved to see and hear what you're hearing and seeing, and they haven't. You have no idea. And here Martha was, with the, to hear and see what kings and prophets have wanted to look into, and all she can think about is, is man, I should have, you know, maybe a bigger meal or or. You know, we've, you know, maybe we need to scrub the floor again. She completely has lost sight of, of the fact that she has the king of kings as an audience in her house. Martha needs to quit trying to impress God, and instead she needs to be impressed by him. If, and Jesus told, this is very similar to what Jesus told the woman at the well. You remember that? Um, he, he said, um, the woman at the well said, well, give me this water so I never have to draw it again. And Jesus told the woman, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask for living water. You remember that story? Jesus always gets to the immediate need. Um, Martha saw Jesus as a way, I'm sorry, Jesus always gets to the eternal need. Martha saw Jesus as a way to satisfy her immediate needs, but Jesus wanted to satisfy her eternal needs. And how easily it is we can, for us to slip into the trap. Bring a Jesus who only exists for our personal convenience. Martha told Jesus, do you not care? Lord, do you not care? How many times does that just easily come out of our mouth? God, do you not care about this situation? How many, we, we can easily lodge this complaint against God, especially in the middle of, of conflict and, and frustration. But Jesus not seem nearly as interested in making our lives comfortable as he is in making our lives holy. Steve alluded to that a little bit this morning. In, 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 in our world of quick fix solutions, throw it in the microwave, instant, you know, instant gratification. It can be really hard to connect with spiritual disciplines that are embedded in our life that we maintain for years. This is, this is we, a consistent, faithful way of following Jesus, putting ourselves in the position of a disciple and letting God speak to us day in and day out, just regularly doing it. Um, we can be driven um, incessantly, as I mentioned I was um, um, that morning, with to-do lists and the problems we have to solve and the and the, the things that are on our mind and the burdens that we carry, and that can drive us instead of sitting at Jesus' feet. The, and often, as I, as, I was, um, as I was thinking about my own life, I realized that often the best that I have to offer God is a drive-through prayer. Those are the kinds you make on your way to work when you're going 79 miles per hour um, in the left lane um, and... Uh, you know, you're, oh God, you know, I, I really need you, you know, whatever, this meeting or this problem, you know, and, and it's that kind, of, that kind of prayer that doesn't go deep, and there's certainly no room for God to speak to you inside of it. I'm probably the only one guilty of praying that kind of prayer. I already know that, so I'm not even going to ask, but um, uh, Jesus, I believe, wants us to take the position of a disciple to sit at Jesus' feet and listen. What does that mean? 
What does it mean to sit at Jesus' feet? I was thinking about the scripture in Matthew. Matthew, I believe, uh, chapter 11. Uh, Jesus said, Come to me, all who labor and are uh, laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The yoke of a teacher was his teaching. And in, in Jewish, early Jewish uh, uh, culture, the yoke of a, of a rabbi was the teaching that he taught. Jesus, says, Jesus is saying, take my yoke, take my teaching upon you, for I am gentle will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, my teaching is easy, my burden is light. You know, we can read that verse and we can quickly claim, yes, rest for my soul, easy burden, I love all that. But the learn from me part of it, we kind of gloss over. The learn from me. I believe the Christian life should be characterized by learning as we sit at Jesus' feet. And that, that, that comes as the foundation for any service that we do for God. In John's Gospel, he says that Jesus loved... Martha and Mary, I'm sorry, it says Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. I always thought the, like, why didn't it say Martha, Mary, and Lazarus? I don't know. But it doesn't. It says Martha and her sister and Lazarus. But the point is that the Bible specifically calls out, John to be exact, specifically calls out that Jesus had a particular uh, care for this family. And I would love to know more about that. What was it about this family that attracted Jesus' compassion. Um, were they the cast out family of the, of the, of the, the, the city? I don't know. Nobody knows. Um, um, someday we'll find out. Um, but it's clear that Jesus loved this family. That's, that's the point that I'm trying to make. And so uh, when we read this, I guess, um, rebuke, you could, we know that it's done with all of the, this is a family that Jesus clearly, not that there was a family that Jesus didn't care for, but this is a family that John specifically says that Jesus loved. And I think sometimes when, when I'm challenged by the words of Jesus, I have to remember, you know what? Everything that Jesus shares with me is all out of love. And we have to receive it that way. So what does it mean? How do we move from being a Martha to a Mary? I was thinking about it. I, I don't think we have any Marthas in here, but if we do, uh, this is not personal towards you. But um, um, how do we move from being a Martha to being a Mary? How do we just avoid being uh, a, a consumer, a spiritual consumer, um, driving through uh, this relationship with Jesus to claim the benefits. How do we avoid that, this consumerism spirituality? Um, the the um, Puritan writer Edmund uh, Calamy says this, this duty of daily divinitation is the life and soul of all Christianity. You are, if you are not acquainted with it, it is as impossible to live without a soul as it is to be a good Christian without divine meditation. You are car carcasses of Christians if you are not acquainted with it. 
what Mr. Calamy considers divine meditation, other Christians have called daily office or quiet time or devotions. Um, and I think we, we used to have an extremely high emphasis uh, and a lot of teaching emphasizing daily quiet time. And, and maybe you could argue it was even perhaps overdone. Maybe it was overbearing, maybe, maybe overboard. But I really want to encourage that not to react against this. Just because something is a discipline doesn't make it legalistic. Just because we, 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 we discipline ourselves to show up faithfully in a certain way in our relationship with Jesus does not mean that we just fell into law and we're just doing things out of legalism. Um, we, I think we instinctively know. Um, we know that the great disciplines of grace do not come from us just putting uh, kind of the, the right cocktail together, the right recipe. We know that. But is it possible that we mistake any discipline as a recipe? Is the most that we consume of Scripture inside this building? Do we pray more in public than we do in private? Is my private worship as rich or more so than my public worship? Is my, are my spiritual externals just a thin veneer over my anxiety and cares of this life? Those are, those are probing questions. Jesus intends for our walk with him to be one that's deep, one that's rooted on, uh, a, I'm going to say, listening to his teaching, hearing his teaching, sitting at Jesus' feet, taking the position of a disciple. And if we find that our spirituality, our external spirituality, is just a thin veneer over our anxiety and cares of this life, then we are, as Mr. Calamy says, in, at danger, in danger of, of car- carcasses of Christians. We've all seen the, 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 the stories on, in the newspaper, on Facebook, of another Christian man or woman that major catastrophe, uh, uh, major failure, um, huge disappointment to their church and their environment. We've all seen those stories. And every time I w- read one, I think, man, how did that happen? How did he get there? How, how, what, 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 what led up to that? And the thing that always comes back to me is a lack of faithfulness in just simply walking with Jesus. Just a lack of faithfulness. He got addicted to the external, I guess, the the, the peripherals of, 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 of a relationship with God, but he, he had none of the foundation. We're coming very quickly to the end of another year, and I don't know about you, but I find my ends of year tend to be a great time for personal reflection and just Maybe self-examination. What, what, what did I accomplish this year? Where am I at? Where did I think I would be? Um, has, have I, as a more grateful person, is my life more characterized by the life of Jesus this, at the end of this year than it was at the end of last year? Um, and I, think, I think this is a great time of year or, uh, to, to engage in that. Um, has, my year, has this year just been a frantic year full of anxiety and uh, being troubled by many things. And if that's where I find myself, 
the invitation, the invitation of Jesus is to spend more time sitting at his feet. In our culture of extreme busyness, as Steve um, mentioned this this morning, uh, uh, our self-worth and our value can easily be tied back to how full is my schedule. If my schedule is full, there's no way that my life means nothing, right? I think one of the biggest spiritual disciplines, and maybe the most underrated, is a two-letter word, and it's the word no. No. No, I'm not going to go to that thing. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to pick up my phone right now. Whatever it is, just the word no. No, I'm not going to sleep in. Um, and, and, and it's not as if I believe that what Jesus is trying to encourage in this passage is that we just all need to retreat into our ivory towers as Christians and maybe just kind of navel gaze and, 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 and scratch our heads and, and, and write philosophically about the problem. Rather, I believe what Jesus is saying is the, the foundation the foundation to your public service for God, to have any meaningful usefulness in the kingdom of God whatsoever, it has to start with sitting at the feet of Jesus. We can only effectively meet the needs of this world after our deepest needs have had, have had their fulfillment realized inside of a relationship with Jesus Christ. There's a spiritual sensitivity and clarity that Jesus is trying to encourage inside of his people. And it's a spiritual sensitivity and clarity that can easily be dulled. It can easily be dulled. Luke 21, Jesus gives the warning, watch out for yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation. By the way, that is a very interesting word. I think it literally means hangover, but um, weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. Uh, that the day will come upon you suddenly like a trap, for it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the earth. Stay awake at all times and pray so that you may have strength to escape all the things going to take place and stand before, before the Son of Man. That's something we don't really encourage that much. Stay awake at all times and pray. Uh, I, I think we have, a, we have a, a high value on spiritual fruit bearing. We believe in spiritual fruitfulness. But is it possible sometimes that we mistake fruitfulness for effectiveness? Does that make sense? Maybe we should focus on bearing effect fruit and less on just making things happen. Not to say that we shouldn't have fruit, but it is very easy to mistake activity for fruit. That being said, I know that Jesus was doing far more in this passage than just trying to address you need to have a daily quiet time. That's not what he was telling Martha. What he was telling Martha is you need to take the position of a disciple where you are intentionally sitting before me and learning from me, allowing yourself to be challenged and changed by, the, by your relationship with me. If we do not wish to be the carcasses of Christians, it's paramount that we maintain the position of a disciple. Ephesians 2.10 says that God has created, already created, good works for you to walk in as a believer. They're already there for you. But how much time are we spending finding out what those good works are? How much time are we spending finding out and asking God, how, how are we to spend our lives pursuing the good works that you've, uh, that you've already created for us to walk in? 
The good can certainly drown out the best, as it did in Martha's life. There was nothing at dinner, but the good drowned out the best. So to address the, the, the idea that there are no visible results from growing spiritually, um, I would say to reap a harvest of sustained spiritual effectiveness requires the discipline of sitting at his feet very intentionally, placing ourselves in the position of a disciple. Rarely, if ever, do we actually see personal growth. Rarely do we actually see from one day to the next, oh, wow, I've become a more grateful person. But maybe 20 years of effectively sitting at Jesus' feet will realize, wow, what a different man I am today. I hope that's the case. Now, I know I've given this analogy before, but in some ways I think it's like brushing your teeth. You know, my daughter said on the way over here this morning, oh, I forgot to brush my teeth this morning. You can survive forgetting to brush your teeth one day. It'll be fine. No big deal. Um, but try doing that for 20 years. On the contrary, don't brush your teeth for 20 years and then just try to brush them for a day. You're not going to get back what you've lost, right? And in some ways, I think this spiritual discipline of sitting at Jesus' feet is a lot like this. You, you can, you can, we can have a season of incredible busyness. And, 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 and maybe we're not leaning into our relationship with Jesus like we should. It's, it's fine. But do, maintain that for 20 years. And I promise you, reap a harvest that you didn't intend. It's just the way that it works. Outer power will always reveal the inner resources or the lack thereof. I make notes when you talk, Steve. Outer power will always reveal inner resources or the lack thereof. Another quote I read once says, "Your public service will your public service for God will never exceed your times of personal private devotion." When we put ourselves into the, into the position of a disciple, it's not legalism. It's not formality. And it's not duty. It is our highest privilege. It is our highest privilege to be taught by Jesus, to allow our lives to be transformed, transformed and changed by Jesus. Every other investment that we make of our time can be taken away from us. Every, everything else we do. Every, every, you know, you spend... You spend half of your life working on, you know, some project, it can disappear in a heartbeat. But your investment into a relationship with Jesus can never be taken away from you. And that's exactly what Jesus told, Mar- told Martha. Mary has chosen a, the good portion, which will not be taken away from you. In Luke chapter 8, he says, um, As for what fell among the thorns, he's talking about the parable of the sower. He says, As for what fell among the thorns... They are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they're choked by cares and riches and pleasures of life. And their fruit does not mature. But as for that that's on the good soil, they are those who, when hearing the word, they hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear fruit with patience. So my encouragement in closing is don't be frustrated by the slow work of God. Take the position of disciple. 
and bear fruit with patience. And that's all I have for you today. Um, I think I'm supposed to close the service.